You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show, The Voice of Islam, with Imam Jalis Khan and myself, Bali Ahmed. Uh, the time is three minutes past seven. It is Friday, the fifteenth of December, twenty twenty-three. As always, we have a very interesting program today on the breakfast show, The Voice of Islam. Um, this is an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions that are taking place. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And uh, you'll be able to share your thoughts uh, with us. Uh, alternatively, you can post your views on uh, what used to be called Twitter, but it's now referred to as X, uh, and uh, do that at Voice of Islam UK. We will be exploring a variety of different topics uh, during the course of this uh, program. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, if there is anything of interest uh, that appeals to you, then do please uh, take the plunge and ring in. Uh, in a few minutes, I will begin uh, with a rundown of the weather from uh, Imam Janis Khan, uh, and then uh, we'll be examining some of the uh, news uh, stories that are doing the rounds these days. Uh, won't be dealing with many, but uh, about half a dozen or so. Um, that will be done during the first half hour, half hour, and those familiar with the show will know that um, we do deal with uh, two main topics uh, during the course of this program. Well, today there's going to be a change. Uh, we'll be considering three topics uh, in this particular broadcast. Uh, the first of these relates to the uh, very um, horrific conflict that is currently going on in the Middle East. Uh, the title of this first topic is Displacement, Death, Hunger as War Enters Third Month. Uh, it's obviously uh, the conflict that is going on in the Middle East, in Gaza, that is being referred to here. Um, and we'll be covering this subject in the first half hour following 7.30. Uh, it'll be before the 8 o'clock news. So if you're interested in that, then do make a point of remaining tuned in during the period between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. Uh, moving on to a second uh, main topic uh, that's going to be started after the 8 o'clock news. Uh, and it concerns the recent um, uh, seismic change, some would uh, describe it as, in uh, uh, Dutch politics. Um, and the title of this uh, particular item is uh, Dutch Elections, a Leader for All. Uh, it's, uh, I think, no secret as to who I'm uh, referring to. But we'll be discussing this topic with uh, Rita Stevens uh, and uh, uh, we'll be sharing the details of the conversation that we had with her uh, earlier. Uh, so Dr. Stevens heralds from Holland, but is currently living in Cornwall and a Quaker representative of the Cornwall Faith Forum. Uh, we also expect to be speaking to Dr. Abdul Haq Compier uh, on this subject, who is a member of the community and is a Dutch psychiatrist, graphic designer and author. On to our final main topic for discussion. Uh, this is about the impact of religion on our work. Uh, the title of the subject is People of Faith More Satisfied with Their Jobs. Uh, people of Faith More Satisfied with Their Jobs. Uh, here we expect to be joined uh, by Dr. Jake Scott, who is Secretary for the Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life 
and he's an Anglican by faith. And together all this, uh, uh, we will be sharing the Islamic standpoint on everything we discuss, mainly provided by our resident Imam, Imam Jalis Khan. And now I've mentioned his name again. It's time to uh, move over to him. Assalamualaikum, uh, Imam Jalis. How are you, sir? Wa alaikum salam. May peace be upon you, Walid Saab. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'm glad that the temperatures have uh, not been so low as they were the week before. Yes, it was okay. It was very cold uh, at the beginning of the yes. week, but it's just mellowed down. Mm, it's not too bad. Mm, yeah, kind of weather that we can bear during the winter. Yeah, yeah. definitely, mm. definitely. Are you a big fan of the cold? No, not at all. Oh, really? But I don't like the hot either. So okay, yeah. in, in the middle of it. Um, in the middle, moderate. yes. So this this kind of weather in the in, in the winter, as I've said, uh, is is acceptable. Fair enough. But the cold that we were experiencing when we had to scrape off uh, yeah. ice from the car, yeah. that's uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. something that's not very really preferred. So maybe not that. Yeah. Anything else? Do you, do you have anything on uh, on your list as to the kind of activities that the community is pursuing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as as you're aware, it's the the end of the year, um, and uh, what we like to do as a community is provide as much as we can for the outer community. Um, so what we try to do is um, homeless feeding and these kind of drives um, in homeless shelters and whatever we can do um, for the community. Um, so you'll see a lot of uh, um, youth workers uh, going towards this. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's, that's mostly what we be oh, doing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we also have the big cleanup in the New Year's. So uh, the yes. first... The first mm. of Jan. Mm. Um, whether all of the country, isn't it? Yes, all yeah, the country. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So after um, we, we, we offered the Hajjit prayers, the Hajjit prayers, what voluntary prayers uh, uh-huh. offered right before our uh-huh. mandatory Fajr prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the prayer that's offered in the morning. Okay. After that, you'll see a lot of... Um, so at this time, if you'll be about six o'clock? Yeah, yeah, give mm-hmm. or take, roughly, yeah, yeah six or o'clock. 5.30 maybe. Yeah, 5.45, 5.30, uh-huh. um, depending where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after your Fajr prayers, you might... You might go out and uh, uh, you, you might do some litter picking and just, just helping out the community as, mm-hmm. as, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you might come back into the mosque, maybe, or your centre, mm-hmm. and you might have a spot of food, mm-hmm. um, as you do uh, mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, and yeah, so you, you, you'll see a lot of uh, humanitarian work uh, mm-hmm. during during the time this year, mm-hmm. just helping the community do a bit of charity work. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, that's, that's, that's mostly stuff you'll be seeing right now. So this kind of clear-up work that the youngsters do early in the morning on New Year's Day is something that's very welcome, isn't it? Uh, yes. yes. Especially, especially by um, by local councils and local officials. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, we have the uh, turmoil of um, the uh, the uh, uh, drinking and uh, uh, and what what else the night before, yeah, and then exactly. uh, we have yeah. our members yeah. clearing up. Absolutely. Yeah. New- New Year's Eve, yes. um, we see we, we see a lot of this, and mm. um, yeah, I think this is, this has become a, a tradition in, in in the community. Yeah, um, it's been going on for the past I don't know, God, fifteen, oh, no, several years. years. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah a lo- yeah, lot long yeah. time. Yeah. So yeah, just more just, than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's it's some way uh, of um, uh, doing something positive for the wider community, and also it helps uh, youngsters as well yeah, in in their development. Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. It uh, shows them the importance of, of service, uh, selfless service. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, um, as far as um, the wider community is concerned in politics, I think a lot of uh, uh, ta- a lot of um, uh, um, interest has been taken up by 
um, by what's regarded as um, the immigration policy of the government. A lot of print media has been uh, expended on this. Uh, the, this is the Rwanda saga, a saga that uh, continues to move on. Uh, the government is just not letting it go. Uh, it seems to have its uh, grip on it and uh, is not um, uh, dispensing with it at all, uh, despite the fact that the Supreme Court unanimously ruled uh, this scheme to be illegal, citing Rwanda to be unsafe. Uh, the government has refused to ditch the initiative. It has signed a new treaty with the East African country and prepared a bill that will declare Rwanda to be safe, making it illegal to consider Rwanda to be unsafe. Uh, one former attorney general likened this to passing a law to say dogs are cats. Uh, further criticism of the bill is that it fails to allow asylum seekers access to British courts, and this flies in the face of the European Convention on Human Rights. And although it doesn't stop them to get um, a redress in the uh, European courts, it's still th thought to be uh, unfair. If this is the criticism of the bill that it is not going far, or is going too far, should I say, opinion on the other extreme has been raised that it does not go far enough and fear that despite this bill, asylum seekers will still be able to delay and prevent their transport to uh, East Africa when seeking refuge in this country. And matters came to a head on Tuesday this week when members of the ruling Conservative Party were threatening to vote against the second reading of the bill. After, uh, However, after frantic effort of persuasion by number 10, the bill did pass uh, with a majority of over 40. I think the uh, tally precisely was 313 against 269. Not a single Conservative MP voted against the bill, so it just shows how effective the, um, the, uh, the uh, lobbying was to persuade MPs to vote a certain way. The government is adamant to pursue this policy. Critics are amazed at the government's stubbornness on this. Even if it succeeds in passing this legislation, legislation is only going to manage to deliver at most 200 people, which is a tiny fraction of the migrants coming to these shores. What is more alarming is the amount spent on the process already. It has already paid uh, uh, Kigali uh, 250 million pounds, with a further 50 million to be expected to pay it next year. Defenders of the government say that the objective of the policy is not merely to transfer people seeking asylum to Rwanda, but for this policy, policy to act as a deterrent for would-be claimants from coming here in the first place. It will be, uh, they say, undercut uh, the. Uh, it will be undercutting the gangs of people smugglers making profit from such human human trafficking. It is surprising that the government is putting so much political capital on this policy, but analysts argue it is for good reason. Immigration is still an issue that is troubling many a voter. A YouGov poll in uh, recent weeks uh, suggests that over half of the uh, voting public see this as an issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, be that as it may, many feel that there is something uncomfortable about turning people see seeking refuge here to another country, which the Supreme uh, Court considers unsafe. Uh, this nation has benefited much from immigration, uh, particularly from asylum seekers, who have in the main become productive members of the community. So what one wonders whether this is a policy that ought to be 
I appreciate, but uh, but uh, as I mentioned before, um, people do think immigration is an issue, and the government is trying to assuage uh, their concerns regarding this um, this particular policy. We'll see how it uh, unfolds later on in the new year. Uh, Islam uh, holds a soft spot for refugees. Uh, prophets, uh, many prophets, we learn. Uh, sought refuge from persecution, uh, fleeing elsewhere. Moses, for instance, fled from the persecution in Egypt. Uh, Jesus from uh, Palestine. And even when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had to leave his hometown to flee from persecution. While recognizing the difficulties cited about immigration, giving refuge to those in distress is a virtue uh, and one shared by, by all faiths. Uh, food for thought, perhaps. If you've got a view on this, then please uh, do call in. 0208-687-7878 is the number. You can also post your uh, thoughts on X. Uh, Voice of Islam UK is the, is the X handle uh, for that purpose. Um, Imam Khadjiris, uh, any thoughts uh, on you on this or any other story that you may have come across? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had uh, the COP28 um, yeah. just, just yesterday, I believe. Um, for those who are not aware of what the COP28 is, it's it's a summit, um, it's, it's a climate meeting of sorts. Um, COP stands for Conference of Parties, where the parties, um, the countries, uh, that signed up to the original UN climate agreement in 1992. So, 94, um, was it? Was it 92? Um, I believe it was 92. Okay. 92. Right. That's okay. why I have my notes anyway. Okay. Um, I might be wrong. Uh, Aye. Um And this time it was held in Dubai, which was quite kind kind of controversial as uh, Dubai, as uh, the UAE is the, the one of the top 10 producers of oil. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the main project at this time was to phase out um, fossil fuel production. And uh, yeah, this is one of the first times um, where... Uh, countries actually tried to to, to do this. Um, they tried to shun out um, these, uh, um, the, well, the the use of fossil fuels and tried to go for other energy systems. So we have um, the the text calls for this to be done in a just and orderly and equitable manner, and uh, this is seen as the uh, as an important recognition that richer countries are expected to move away from coal, oil, gas more quickly. However, the deal doesn't compel any countries um, to take action and no timescale was specified either. Mm. Yeah, the trouble with a lot of these um, um, agreements is that um, nations are more concerned with their own national interests aren't yep. they? and uh, at the expense of the wider global consequences, leading yep. many to find refuge in loopholes and what yep. have you in order to uh, not... Uh, um, deliver their commitments. Yep, uh, That leads yeah. to damage to the environment. Yeah. So, yes, uh, and uh, yes, there was some jubilation, wasn't it? It was that um, transition away from fossil fuels, I think that's the phrase that's being used. Um, yeah. And, yeah uh, I, I don't know, I mean, as far as, I mean, Islam is concerned, I mean, there is a responsibility we have yeah. uh, to the environment. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, there is... Um, this understanding that um, we don't own anything, we're yeah. just given this as a trust. Yeah. God is the owner, Absolutely. and that uh, we'll be responsible 
as to how we discharge this uh, this yeah. trust. So, looking after the environment is not just um, uh, a duty that um, has uh, environmental consequences, but mm. it's also a duty that uh, is very much uh, something that uh, would be in conformity Absolutely. with Islamic values. Um, so, uh, let's hope that uh, uh, good sense prevails and that we are able to uh, turn back uh, what seems to be uh, a catastrophe that uh, yeah. we are actually approaching. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Right. Um, there's this uh, story about health uh, regarding additional drugs for heart patients. 66,000 people die because of heart disease in the UK every year. Uh, this is an average 180 people a day. Staggering. And one of the causes for heart disease is cholesterol. In the past, this has been controlled using drugs like statins. Now the NHS guidance is suggesting prescribing additional drugs. Uh, and uh, azetimibe is particularly uh, mentioned in this connection uh, to keep cholesterol down. It is thought that this will help to prevent between 50,000 and 145,000 heart attacks, strokes, and other acute illnesses over the next decade. Um, this particular drug uh, stops the body taking in, in cholesterol from food. Professor Jonathan Benger, uh, the chief uh, medical officer of NICE. NICE is the National Institute for Healthcare Excellence. He said improvising the control of cholesterol in a large number of people will further reduce deaths from heart attacks and strokes. This guideline will help clinicians talk uh, through the uh, options with their patients to achieve the best outcomes. We are focused on providing useful and use, usable guidance for healthcare practitioners to help them and their patients make informed choices about their long-term healthcare. Um, so that's uh, regarding um, this particular uh, item. Um, and um, um, it's good that um, scientists are coming up with uh, uh, new means and new drugs to tackle the diseases that uh, uh, unfortunately are um, are um, inflicted upon us or the way our diseases develop. Um, I, I think that uh, cholesterol is an issue that uh, mm. raises its uh, scepter uh, later on in life. I think you've pretty... Uh, free from that, I think, at the moment. At, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but later on in life, you'll be on, on one of these... Uh, the, the number of people, a number of statins that are actually prescribed is phenomenal. Mm. So it just goes to show how uh, prevalent this particular issue of uh, cholesterol is. And I suppose a lot of it to, is to do with diet and yeah. uh, the way that we consume and the amount of uh, food that we consume. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, fast food has a lot to do with it. You, uh, Uber Eats and stuff like yeah, that is also I, I, something I, that's not helping. I do agree with you. Uh, would you would you say if you make these kind of changes early on in 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 your life, maybe early twenties, like late late twenties, early thirties, do do you think it will have an effect later? Yeah, on? it has an effect. I would I would say it definitely would have an effect. Hmm. I think that if you if you get into into the habit of eating well, good food. Mm -hmm. 
moderately, yeah. uh, uh, not exceeding limits, as the Quran would uh, yeah. would uh, certainly uh, instruct. Um, then I, I think it's in good. Uh, you'll be in. You'll be uh, in good stead. Yeah. Also, if you think, I feel that um, uh, fasting is a is a great help mm-hmm. as well, because uh, it um, helps you to. Um, develop uh, uh, control over, yeah. over food yeah um, and if that can that uh, uh, sense can be developed uh, during the rest of the year when you when you are eating uh, normally then uh, it helps a lot I think yeah yeah um, there is uh, in connected to that there's this uh, story uh, regarding snacking. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Times last week uh, reported that uh, we are no longer adhering to the normal practice of three square meals a day, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Instead, uh, what appears to be catching on is snacking, replacing at least one of these meals. 30% of the nation, so there's some survey that was connected by wait, uh, uh, connected by waitress, food and drink. They say that 30% of the nation uh, ditches the lunch uh, in place of snacks, ten percent uh, said that apart from one meal they grazed in, uh, instead all day. So um, lunch is uh, dispensed with by thirty percent, and ten percent say that they only have one meal, so they've uh, actually dispensed with two meals uh, during the day. So the survey, as I mentioned, carried, was carried out by Waitrose Food and Drink. They also found that forty-three percent of those who worked from home admitted nipping into the kitchen and helping themselves to snacks throughout the day. The most popular time to snack was after 3 p.m., uh, followed by noon uh, to 3 p.m. slot. Among the most popular snacks were crisps, eaten by 29%, cakes and biscuits by 22%, chocolate by 19%, and nuts of fruit and vegetables by 17%. It's already making me hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, again, from an Islamic point of view, the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said, A human being fills no worse vessel than his stomach. It is sufficient for a human being to eat a few mouthfuls to keep his spine straight. But if he must fill, fill it, that is uh, his stomach, then one-third of food, one-third of drink, and one-third of for air. Uh, as far as the Holy Prophet is concerned, mm. it is not clear if he had uh, himself a regular regime for meals, this... Uh, this concept of three square meals a day. We know that he fasted uh, some two or three days a week. So we expect him to have had two meals a day, but then it is also reported that if he had eaten in the evening, he would not eat uh, in the um, in the uh, in the morning mm. uh, the following day. So there's no doubt that he lived uh, on limited provisions, and uh, his wife, was Aisha, reports that for many weeks the cooking stove would not be lit at all. Mm. So... Uh, however, the, the, his general advice on eating is provided by the saying that just mentioned and uh, also by the Holy Quran, which repeatedly tells us not to exceed the limits mm. and to eat which, uh, that which is uh, pure tigyab, you know? Yeah. So that uh, yeah. is uh, his advice that we would do well to heed. Yeah. I think just in correlation with this, um, something just... It, it might help in in relation with this is the is the practice of the second caliph of uh-huh. our community, the Ahmadi Muslim community. Yeah. Um Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. Um may Allah have mercy on him. Um will be pleased with him. Um what he used to do was in the morning he would have a hot cup of water and he used to put honey in it. 
hot cold hot 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 cup of water hot cup of water yeah. and then you used to mix some honey in it okay. and then you used to drink that in the morning and that and, and that settles mm-hmm. your stomach it really helps with metabolism and that's, that's okay. very good for you as well so mm-hmm. yeah oh that's interesting yeah. I may try that yeah mm. no, it was good okay um, oh yeah this uh, story in the Times yesterday caught my eye uh, it um, it's an interesting story uh, it was concerning the good deed. Uh, if you if you're not a conservative uh, supporter, then you may find this um, this strange. But anyway, it was it concerns the good deed of one of our conservative MPs, uh, no less, in uh, Mr. David Davis. Uh, it is reported that he, as he was walking to make his way home, it was on Tuesday night. Uh, he noted two men kicking uh, uh, seven bells. That's how it's described, out of a rough sleeper. The attackers beat the man to the ground and repeatedly kicked him in the head. Mr. Davis, instead of just walking by or standing um, afar, he actually intervened. Uh, Being an SES reservist, uh, he managed to fight off the assailants and then took the victim, uh, his name is Gareth, to the safety of his Westminster flat. Uh, Mr. Davis has a flat in Westminster. the uh, victim is said to have slept on his sofa, and Mr. Davis uh, took him to A&E in the morning. Fortunately, nothing serious uh, was found other than a few scars that had been sustained. Explaining his action, Mr. Davis said, About 35 years ago, somebody got kicked in the head and he died. Ever since then, if I see something like this happening, I intervene. Asked whether he, was, uh, uh, whether he used his training from the SAS reserve selection process, he said, only to stop them from hitting me. Really, I'm not always so successful when following my rule. I have broken my nose and a few teeth in the past. Assisting the weak uh, when they're in trouble is uh, something that is considered uh, to be a virtue and is a teaching that's found, I would say, I would say in all religions. Uh, we find the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, for instance. And in Islam, uh, uh, we know... Uh, how rendering help to the uh, to the underprivileged and destitute in society very much lay at the heart of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, his character. Uh, when he was young, and this is something he reminisced about as well, uh, very fondly, he said that uh, we know that when he was young, he readily joined a group called Hilful Fuzul, which pledged mm-hmm. that they would come to the aid of anyone who had been wronged, uh, especially the weak, and the underprivileged and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was known to have discharged this commitment he had made diligently and without fail. So there is a certain um, um, Islamic um, support from this for this kind of action. Um, and as I said, it's not just Islamic support. I think all religions would actually uh, would, would actually uphold or promote this kind of assistance to those people who are perhaps less fortunate. So on to, um, oh dear, um, our um, uh, program, we have to now consider the uh, first main story uh, that we are going to be addressing is uh, regarding uh, displacement that hunger uh, as war enters third month. That's the title of this subject. So I will hand uh, the mic over to uh, Imam Jalis Khan because my my tablet has just gone blank. So I think it'd best if uh, you can continue uh, while we sort out what's going on here. Yes, of course. Um, 
So the gist of the story that we would like to present today is, um, is, is as follows. So the United Nations World Food Programme, so that's the WFP, say that households in northern Gaza are experiencing alarming levels of hunger. And at least 97% of households, that's 97% of, house, um, 97% of households in northern Gaza have inadequate food consumption, with nine Nine out of ten people going one full day and night without food. And according to Palestinian Red Crescent Society, so that's the Palestinian Red Crescent Society, 60% of the wounded require urgent medical treatment abroad, pointing to the collapse of the health sector in Gaza. And there's a statement where he says that the occupation uh, the occupation forces are deliberately arresting and abusing the sick and wounded, including paramedics from our crews, and we are on the cusp of a health and environmental catastrophe in the Strip. Hmm. And um, the UN has also issued certain very strong statements, um, and uh, recently, within the last 24 hours, the uh, uh, Secretary General said that uh, what's happening in that part of the world is becoming unbearable. Yeah. Uh, um, so there is a lot of concern, uh, especially with the way that um, um, innocent uh, women and children especially are losing their lives. And um, more seems to be uh, laying in in wait for um, more misery seems to be laying in wait for for that population uh, with um, the manner in which uh, the infrastructure has been destroyed and it means that it will give rise to um, to disease. There is uh, no uh, uh, free drinking water and uh, sanitation. Uh, is something that uh, is uh, suffering a great deal. S- uh, certainly, lack of food. So yes, yeah. it's uh, it's a very worrying, worrying situation. And on top of that, then you've got the uh, the airstrikes that uh, are taking place uh, uh, so profusely. Uh, it is uh, a cause of great concern, and uh, I know that uh, His Holiness has repeatedly uh, urging the community to actually. Uh, pour their hearts out in prayers uh, and uh, to avert this uh, catastrophe that is befalling um, the, those, uh, especially the, the innocents. Seventy percent, uh, they're saying, uh, are women and children that are yeah. losing their lives. Yeah. So it is. It is extremely unfortunate. Mm-hmm. There is a. Um, we have Geneva Convention and we have uh, European Court of Human yeah. Rights. But, uh, but Islam actually laid down uh, principles about yeah. the ethics of war way before uh, fourteen hundred years ago, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. That is. That's that's the case. We mm. see. We see it even today the, the the injunctions and the 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 principles laid out by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, for example, um, in terms of imprisonment, um, so the, the the Quranic teachings and in, in as regards with prisoners, for example, we see the term of uh, term of imprisonment should terminate with the termination of fighting. Um, no prisoners to be put to death. 
Mm-hmm. Um, no prisoner should be called upon to do anything which is beyond his, capa- his abilities and capabilities. The comfort of the prisoner should be should not be neglected. So these are certain injunctions and principles that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has um, has has laid out. Um, in terms of um, the the protection of religion, um, before deploying a company, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would admonish them to go forth. I would say with the intention, as I said in, in, in the beginning, with the intention of protecting religion and would then advise, do not embezzle the wealth of spoils and um, and do not receive a people, or deceive a people. Do not mutilate the enemy dead. Um, do not kill women and children, nor religious uh, recluses. Uh, do not kill the elderly. Create peace in the land and treat the people with benevolence. Do not harm that which they consider to be sacred. Do not cut down a fruitful tree. So this is, this is these are the injunctions and principles that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, want him laid out. And there's so many more. Mm. Um, mm. So much so that he, um, the, the Holy Prophet himself said not to cut down a fruitful tree. The, mm. the, that, that's how um, that's how deep he went in, in, in terms of protecting not just the people, but also the land, the surrounding mm. animals and land as well. And the, this, this is exactly what Islam teaches. Mm-hmm. So, um, in many ways, I mean, these uh, instructions and guidelines are ahead of their time, aren't they? Yeah. Um, um, and um, no disfigurement of faces to be permitted. I mean, that's quite interesting because mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's what uh, his opponents would do. Yeah. But uh, he would not uh, want this uh, to be done yeah. to uh, their dead uh, in retaliation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, you know, taking the uh, taking the higher ground, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yes, that's that's quite interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, priests and religious fu- functionaries and religious leaders are not to be interfered with. Um, I mean, that reminds me of this particular charter that is still uh, uh, preserved, where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, yeah. promised the uh, monks of Saint uh, the monastery of um, Saint Catherine. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that um, they should not be harmed, and yeah. that was the commitment that yeah. he and his followers made, and they should be allowed to uh, pursue their faith as they wish. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's uh, um, it's that particular relic is um, an indication of the uh, tolerance that Islam uh, promoted, uh, even at its inception. It's not something that uh, we've uh, made up uh, later on scholars have made up later on. It was something that was very much um, observed and promoted at uh, at the time when Islam was founded Mm -hmm. and by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. I think uh, previously I mentioned regarding the prisoners and uh, and, and what care the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, took in ensuring that the prisoners were, were, were well taken care of and they were catered for. Um, it was actually ordered that the prisoners should be treated with great compassion and kindness. Mm. And as such, history proves this um, due to this order of the Holy Prophet, uh, that the companions would worry about the comfort of the prisoners even more than their own ease. And it was commanded by the Holy Prophet that those prisoners who were close relatives of one another should not be, uh, on any account, be separated. Okay. Um, um, we see... Um, we see that at one point um, there was uh, it, it, it was night time and the Holy Prophet could uh, could not go to sleep because he could hear someone whinging and kind of moaning uh-huh. and he noticed that someone's um, 
uh, handcuffs or hand ties or whatever they tied the hand with, some piece of rope possibly, um, it, it was on too tight. So he ordered the, the, the hand ties to be loosened. And um, I think, I think, I think, I think, um, um, uh, Brother Valid, you might know a little bit more about the fact that um, it was his uh, uh, uncle, yes. uh, his, his, it was his dear uncle who, yes. who, um, who, who, who was um, in discomfort at night. Mm. And because of this, he, he ordered that everyone's hand t- handcuffs mm. and hand ties should be loosened. So this is the care that the Holy Prophet showed to everyone, no matter if they were enemies or not. Um, we see that camels were utilized by the by the prisoners more than the the Muslims themselves. Okay, and when they were traveling. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we see further on other injunctions that do not kill any child, any woman, any elderly person or sick person. And there's something that you mentioned that seventy percent mm. of the deceased in this uh, in this in, in this uh, crisis in this war yeah. um, has uh, is seventy percent are women and children. Mm. Um, so we see uh, do not practice treachery or mutilation. to something again, again you, you, we've already touched upon mm. um, again about trees. Do not uproot or. Uh, burr palms or cut down fruitful trees and again regarding animals do not slaughter a sheep or a cow or a camel except for food okay. so this is this is this is the care that we mm. we see taken by Islam and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah right. upon him okay um, and um, what about um, is there anything um, that the um, founder of the community has said regarding this particular conflict that yes, you want to share? Yes, absolutely. Um, before I do touch upon this, I think I, th- I think um, it's, it's worthwhile um, looking at the Torah itself and what the Torah teaches and okay. uh, the teachings of the Torah because we see that biblical quotes are frequently referenced in the media uh, in order to validate Israel and uh, the, uh, as, as, as a Jewish homeland. And um, perhaps the most often cited is in Chronicles, which declares that Jerusalem is the city chosen for the Israelites. Um, we see the likes of um, Neil Barkat, who was uh, who was serving as the mayor of Jerusalem. Uh, he stated everywhere he stated that everywhere you put a shovel in the ground in Jerusalem, you will find Jewish roots, and connecting to biblical stories. Uh, another example would be Naftali Bennett, the former prime minister of Israel, who was interviewed and um, regarding uh, this uh, uh, interviewed about the Israeli occupation of West Bank. Um, he, he responded that you need to change the narrative of the Bible because it's all there. He further continues saying that I suggest you go change the Bible first, come back and show me a new Bible that says that the land of Israel does not belong to the Jews. So we see that biblical references have been mentioned. Um, however, an unrelenting bombardment of Gaza continues, which has killed over, I think, roughly 18,000. I think 700 mm. is the toll that I just read. Um and uh, th- th- this rhetoric has taken quite a rather dangerous turn recent recent weeks, days. Um, and uh, we see that the Prime Minister himself, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, has uh, continued to make references to sacred scripture as well mm. and uh, to justify um, this, 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 this war in Gaza. Mm. And um, um, so while rejecting the calls of a ceasefire, he invoked the Bible saying that um, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and there's a time for war. And this is a time for war. Mm. And um, it might come as a shock to some people mm. um, who are unaware of history. But this, this very reference was mm. used to, to justify uh, genocide throughout, um, uh, including the, the Na- Native Americans and uh, the Tutsis of Rwanda. Um, but the po- 
probably the most alarming and shocking statement um, mentioned um, was referencing uh, Amalek, mm. a nation in the Bible. Um, so we must remember um, what... Uh, so <laughs> um, Netanyahu stated that you must remember what Amalek has done to you. Sorry, it's, it's in the Holy Bible. Uh, you must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our Holy Bible. This is in Samuel. Uh-huh. Um, it says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So um, th- 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 this, this is basically showing that the, um, ultimately the, the, the references that have been made from the, from the Torah. But there are other um, references that maybe um, some people uh, overlook in the Torah. Um, in the Torah, in, in Zechariah, it stated, um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Where is it? What's the reference again? This was Zechariah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Um, 7, 8 to 10. Yeah. Okay. Right. And uh, we, we we go ahead to Proverbs. This is three three four. Mm-hmm. Um, so let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Mm. Um, yeah. So we we see that um, the, the there is reference of mercy of 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 of, of some kind mm. in in the. In the in the Torah, and we must um, also look at that as well instead of um, the, yes. the 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 former. Yeah, um, instead of Amalek. Exactly, yeah. instead mm-hmm. of Amalek. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm. yeah, um, yeah. Um, there are other references as well, but if you would like to. Uh, no, but I mean, um, I think that um, the Bible is uh, often used to substantiate uh, the claims that uh, some. Jews make, but um, I think we have to understand that uh, this isn't uh, a conflict between religions. Is it a, no. a conflict between? Uh, it's a, it's a, on on land, I suppose, uh, mm-hmm. between a conflict between people who happen to be Muslim and Christian on the one hand, and uh, Jews on the other. And not mm-hmm. all Jews uh, support the policies that. Uh, the government of Israel is um, promoting um, and following. And we also have to remember that Orthodox Jews are very much against um, this uh, state of affairs and also against uh, the policies of uh, the Jewish state. And um, they claim, uh, Orthodox Jews claim, that uh, it's wrong to have a, have a state. The Jews should not yep. have a state. Absolutely. Because this is something that has been divinely ordained that they should uh, suf- suffer or, um, yeah, suffer diaspora. Uh, and that's uh, until a certain time. Mm-hmm. But this is not the time. And um, they are quite very much in arms. The conflict is, is, uh, essentially is between uh, Zionism, I suppose, and mm-hmm. uh, and the indigenous population of uh, what used to be Palestine, mm-hmm. and that's that, these are the um, two groups that are um, um, are um, at each other and at each other. And um, I think that it would be wrong to uh, 
to describe this as uh, a religious uh, war between two religions. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, a war, uh, a conflict that has risen, uh, arisen because of um, um, ideologies, um, yeah. and not not religion at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that point has to be has to be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, th- I think we need to um, obviously we we should also look at the Holy Quran and what it says. So you touched upon the Bible now and, t- and, and and the Torah as well, and what it says. And we do see that there is mercy in the Torah. This is it's, it's not completely. Um, obviously, there are harsh teachings as well. Um, yes. Um, but if if you look at the Holy Quran, there's no doubt that the Holy Quran, which is the final and complete word of God, presents mm-hmm. a most comprehensive and lofty teaching. Uh, one that concords with human nature and provides the solution in every sphere of life. And regarding its uh, teaching of retribution, the Holy Quran states, uh, the recompense of an injury is an injury, the like thereof, but whoso forgives and thereby brings about an improvement, his reward is with Allah. We see that the promised Messiah, um, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad um, of Qadiyan has stated, the Holy Quran perfects and completes all previous teachings. Take the teachings of the Torah as an example. If we analyze its teachings based on the need of the present circumstances, we find that its emphasis was on retribution and recompense, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. On the contrary, the teachings of the Gospels were based entirely on forgiveness and patience to the extent that it states that if one slaps another on the cheek, they ought to turn the other cheek as well. If the Torah leans to one extreme, then the gospel leans to the other extreme. However, on every occasion, the Holy Quran presents teachings that are balanced and appropriate according to the situation. This is an, this is an amazing quote. Just to just to balance everything out, the Holy Quran is, is, is as it says, is the most balanced book. Um, mm. So as, as, as we do... As we see two extremes on one side, we see a perfectly balanced article in the Holy Quran, and we should be following this example. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, yes. Okay, no, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. Okay, um, um, yes, so um, I know that His Holiness continues to give uh, his um, uh, directions on this on this particular uh, issue. Yep. Uh, very much buttressed by the need uh, for uh, prayer and also to try and uh, explain to those people who are in authority about the enormity of um, the injustice that is uh, taking place and the need to actually um, uh, put a stop to it. Um, We did have uh, a vote in the United Nations last week uh, it was vetoed by the United uh, States, but uh, a vast majority of countries, I think something in the region of uh, uh, 180 or odd, uh, voted for uh, this uh, permanent uh, cessation of hostilities. Uh, but uh, one or two countries, um, United States and Israel, um, uh, voted against the UK um, um, abstained. Mm. Um, so that uh, shows the strength of feeling that exists uh, regarding um, this particular issue. Uh, the General Assembly overwhelmingly voted for a cessation of hostilities, but uh, because of that veto, 
the um, it is not a binding resolution anyway mm. uh, the general assembly uh, resolution is not binding the security council uh, resolution would have been binding if uh, there hadn't been that veto so this is a cause for concern that um, uh, despite the fact that so many people are dying every day um, the that uh, there isn't um, this urgency for an immediately immediate ceasefire among um, uh, the main, the, the big nations of the world. And there's also uh, concern, and this is something that was raised in uh, Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday, where the uh, uh, Scottish uh, leader in Westminster yep. pointed uh, to the fact that between uh, now and uh, Christmas, 14,000 children are expected to die if there is no ceasefire. Is that something that is conscionable? Uh, and it clearly isn't, uh, but it does uh, uh, put into perspective the enormity of um, the horror that is taking place in that part of the world and uh, needs to be stopped. And I hope that, um, uh, that nations will put... Uh, pressure where it needs to be put uh, in order to uh, uh, stop this um, this horror. Anyway, we can go for um, a short break uh, and I'll, we'll be back uh, after that. Here's uh, something that uh, is um, maybe relevant in this, uh, in this, in what we're discussing. We'll be back in half a minute. Hazrat Abu Huraira. May Allah be pleased with him, narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, No fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim, even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn, but that Allah expiates some of his sins for that. Peace be upon you. Welcome back to the uh, breakfast show at the Voice of Salaam with Imam Jalis Khan and myself, Willie Dhamad. The time is approaching uh, 7.55. Uh, it's Friday, the 15th of December, 2023. As mentioned before, uh, at the top of the program, we welcome views and opinions and thoughts uh, from our listeners. Uh, and uh, if you have any that you want to share with the the uh, rest of our audience, then uh, all you need to do is to pick up the phone, ring 0208-687-7878, and hopefully you'll be put through to uh, through uh, to uh, uh, raise and to air your thoughts. Uh, alternatively, you can post your comments on uh, X. Voice of Islam UK is the uh, uh, X handle for that particular purpose. We were discussing this issue about um, the calamity that is befalling the people of Gaza now with uh, this conflict. Uh, and looking at uh, some of the religious teachings uh, that are relevant in this connection um, about justice and about uh, restraint and uh, about mercy and forgiveness. Um, there's something more as well that uh, you would want to add yes. uh, Yes, of course. I think I think it's worth mentioning that our beloved Hazur, His Holiness um, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, um, the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, has displayed um, great care 
for the people of Palestine um, and for all innocent life lost in this crisis, in this conflict. So um, I would like to mention and uh, just quote a few of um, um, of his um, of his statements. Um, we we are aware that after every um, well d- d- during his Friday sermon, um, as it is today as well. Um, Hazur shows great care, and he mentions after his sermon, after he has um, finished and completed his 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 section and his part of his sermon, um, he mentions about the state of the crisis, <clears throat> and this is every week, and uh, and uh, I think I, th- I think this should be um, this this should be mentioned. Um, this should be taken. Um, we should we should take uh, take great care listening, and uh, obviously um, keeping this in mind as well. So His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, um, very simply in his Friday sermon, um, has stated, if a war is warranted, then it can be fought between armies, not with women, children and the innocent. Not only does Islam teach proportionality in such matters, but it also teaches how to avoid disproportionality. And this is the, the Holy Quran uh, in the Holy Quran, it states, "Let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise than with justice. Be always just. That is nearer to righteousness." He goes, "Justice is the focal point, the centering force to achieving a proportionate response. And what does justice entail?" His Holiness, may Allah strengthen. His hand states, Islam teaches absolute justice and equality in all matters. And so we find another very crucial guideline in the Holy Quran where it states, And and let not the enmity of a people that they hindered you from the sacred mosque incite you to transgress and help one another in righteousness and piety and help, but help not one another in sin and transgression and fear Allah. Surely, Allah is severe in punishment. So in this verse, it states that to fully comply with the requirements of justice, it is necessary, it is necessary to treat even those people who go beyond all limits in their hatred and enmity with fairness and equity. We see that the Holy, that the, His, His Holiness has stated further, saying that Islam teaches that where retribution is required, then it must be proportionate to act of transgression. However, if forgiveness can lead to reformation, then the option to forgive should be taken. The true and overarching objectives should be always be reformation, reconciliation and the development of long-lasting peace. I think I'll end by saying um, another quote um, of His Holiness where he states that in early Islam the conditions were so grave that Allah the Almighty permitted the Muslims to defend themselves to uphold and defend the principle of universal religious freedom. Even then Islam laid down stringent rules, yeah, stringent rules of engagement wherein any forceful response was to remain proportionate to the cruelty inflicted and every possible opportunity for peace was to be grasped no matter how remote the opportunity. And I'd like to finish off there. Well, thank you very much. Right, uh, so this is a topic that we've been discussing. If you have anything uh, to say, then please uh, do, uh, and you want to share it with uh, with our listeners, then do please call in. Uh, we'll be discussing the Dutch elections, a leader for all after the news. And here is that news. 
You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam. Oh, um, on this Friday morning, it's uh, approaching four minutes uh, past eight, and with me is uh, Imam Jalis Khan. Uh, it is Friday, the 15th of December, 2023, and before the 8 o'clock news, we were discussing this particular topic about uh, displacement, death, hunger, uh, as war enters third month. This is concerning the conflict that is taking place in the in the Middle East. Uh, now uh, we're going to be approaching a second topic, uh, which is concerning the um, Dutch elections, a leader for all. Uh, now, the, the gist of this story is something that we picked up from the BBC website. Uh, it says that veteran anti-Islam populist leader Gert uh, Wilders uh, has won a dramatic victory in the Dutch general election with almost all votes counted. Uh, after 25 years in Parliament, uh, his Freedom Party, PVV, is set to win 37 seats, well ahead of his nearest rival, a left-wing alliance. Uh, the PVV uh, can no longer be ignored, he said. We will govern. Uh, that's also something he said. His win has shaken Dutch politics, and it will send a shock across Europe too. But to fulfill his pledge uh, to be prime minister for everyone, he will have to persuade other parties to join him in a coalition. His target is uh, 36 seats in um, uh, in 150 seat uh, parliament. So if he gets the uh, 36 seats, or if he's able to build a coalition, uh, then uh, he will be um, he will be um, yes he will be uh, uh, the uh, prime minister of if that is the uh, head of state there. The, with the Prime Minister of, uh, of Holland, which is in some quarters uh, very worrying. Um, is there an Islamic perspective to this, uh, Imam uh, yes, Yadis? Uh, yes, because uh, I know His Holiness has been um, uh, he commenting on this uh, yes. particular issue in the past. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's worth mentioning here that uh, despite uh, his uh, harsh rhetoric, um, Wilders has uh, already begun reaching out to other right and centre parties, as you've already mentioned, regarding the coalition. And he's emphasising that his policies will remain within the bounds of law and the constitution. And even during the final weeks of his campaign, he actually softened his stance further. And he vowed to be a prime minister for all Dutch people, including Muslims. So there is a shift in, hmm. in, 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 his, uh, in, his, in, in his wording. Um, and uh, he, he also stated um, st stated that the picture is more nuanced. And if I were to become prime minister, I will be for all Dutch people, regardless of their religion. So we see, we see a softening of tone over here. Um, and he also um, goes on to say that Islam so far, um, so far a big issue for the party is no longer a priority as far as Wilders is concerned. And in a Dutch television program, he actually said that Islam is not a priority right now and other issues are more important. Um, and uh, he showed himself as a politician willing to make compromises. Um, and um, um, the, the, the thing that I really wanted to mention regarding um, Geert Wilders or even generally in this in this in this in this topic 
is um, I think I think the topic that we have at hand is is is, is a leader for all. Uh-huh. And I just want to touch upon who who is a good leader. Like what 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 are the signs and the and the the attributes of a good leader. Um, I went through um, a few websites and uh, I, was, I was doing my own research and whatnot. Um, and uh, if you look at Forbes, um, Forbes um, in terms of the most successful leaders and the things that they do, um, the, the the number one thing they put, um, the one the, the number one uh, the, on this list number the number one thing was that uh, they make others feel safe to speak. Uh-huh. And um, it, it continued saying that many times leaders intimidate their colleagues with their title and power when they walk into a room. You know, um, successful leaders deflect attention away from themselves and encourage others to voice their opinions. Um, and this this kind of creates like a very safe environment where you can speak and you can talk and you can be comfortable. Hmm. And uh, if you look at the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, he would ask, he would console, he would take uh, counsel from his companions and ask the companions, okay, is, is there anything that I can do over here? What would you suggest? Hmm. Um, out of sheer humbleness and humility, the companions would say well, whatever the Holy Prophet hmm. suggests. Um, there was actually a time um, in the the, the, the time, um, I believe it was the Battle of the Ditch, um, where all the the all the communities and groups, the whole of Arabia was um, was 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 against mm-hmm. um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and they came to Medina, um, and I think roughly ten thousand, uh, possibly exceeding that number as well, they they they, they marched towards uh, Medina. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked, what, 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 what should we do? And it was, it was, it was this point that um, Hazrat uh, Salman of, uh, of Persia, hmm. um, he suggested that we should we should create a ditch around Medina, that way we have some sort of ground that, that we can we, 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 we can utilize. And this is exactly hmm. the this is exactly what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he this is exactly what he utilized. So this is something that I really wanted to touch upon. Okay, right. Yeah. Very interesting. And. Um, um there have been uh, comments and by the uh, dutch uh, is he prime minister now i'm not sure uh, whether he's been able to form a government I, I, builders yeah i i, I think i think it's in the process i don't, I don't think he's yeah been, uh, so it's still in the process okay um so um what has what has uh, his own been um saying in response to some of the Provocative statements made by Mr. Gil, Mr. Wilders in the past. Do you have? Yeah, yeah, that? I, I do, I do. So, um, uh, Geert Wilders famously, uh, he's he he he's known to say that um, <laughs> he's he's famous for saying, "I don't I don't hate Muslims, I hate Islam." Hmm. Um, and ironically, to justify his hatred, he invariably attributes the evil actions of some misguided Muslims to the hmm. pristine teachings of Islam. Right. And uh, during a visit to Holland in 2011, um, His Holiness, um, the, the, the the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Absur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, uh, delivered a stern warning to Geert Wilders. And, then, and, and obviously you, you, we're all aware that this has been continuing on for a long time now, as in his, uh, his kind of subtle attacks. I mean, mm. Not even subtle if you're, if you're claiming that you yeah. hate no. Islam instead of uh, yes. Muslim. So, um, so his, his attacks on Islam. Um, and he gave a stern warning, addressing uh, Wilder directly, saying that, listen carefully, no worldly power, no matter how powerful, and no matter how much hatred they bear towards Islam, 
will ever succeed in erasing our religion. Mm. So, um, <coughs> this is something that um, the Holy Pro- uh, sorry, the, this is something that um, our, our His Holiness has stated. Um, just just touching upon again um, to, to 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 the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, again, the, the the qualities of true lead- leadership. Um, we see his actions or his 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 practice with um, a beloved companion of his, Hazrat uh, mm. Bilal. Mm. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Um, Hazrat Bilal, uh, for those who are not aware, he was uh, he was a slave that was released by Hazrat Abu Bakr. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, even in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, slaves were looked down upon, and 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 Hazrat Bilal was, I believe, he was, he, he, or he was, he was of, of African descent, mm-hmm. and um, and again he was he was looked down upon, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, treated with him uh, treated him with such care, and um, I just 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 for the the, the 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 benefit for the listeners, Hazrat Bilal, just just to show his level of conviction. Um, he was laid bare on the on, on, on the floor in the scorching sand of Arabia under the blazing sun and he was, and, and, and a massive rock was placed on his chest mm-hmm. and uh, the leaders of Quraysh, the leaders of uh, Arabia um, um, of, uh, of, of Mecca they said renounce your God renounce your God mm-hmm. and to which he said ahad ahad which means one one he is, he is one he is one which shows his conviction that I, I will not renounce my God. So this is the conviction that Hazrat Bilal showed. Mm. Just, uh, just a side note. Um, so Hazrat Bilal, I digress. Uh, Hazrat Bilal, um, um, he again, as, as I said, he was he he, he was an African slave and he was released and he was a Muslim, mm. and uh, he was given the task of being um, uh, the, the the word in Arabic is muazzin, okay, and muazzin means um, the one who. Uh, who calls for prayer? So the, right. the the one. So in Islam, we have a call for prayer. It's called azan, and uh-huh. azan is a call for prayer when all Muslims, whatever they're doing, they stop what they're doing, and they go and they go for prayer. And the muazzin has the has the great blessing, is a privilege, is a responsibility, um, that he calls everyone for prayer. The Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be him. Such a, such, a, such a beautiful thing he's done. Some someone of his of of his stature, as in Hazrat Bilal, of of his stature, Hazrat Bilal, who's mm. who's a slave, who's a who's a, who's of African descent, someone who's looked down upon. He was given such a massive responsibility. Mm. Someone who wasn't even able to recite the Quran or the the words of Arabic properly, he was given mm. the responsibility. Just to just, just I mean, I I found it amazing just to elevate the status. What a beautiful yeah. leader! Just yeah. to just to show that everyone is equal. And uh, I believe this is this is this is something that Islam promotes. Is something it teaches equality, mm. no matter what race, faith, what creed you're from. It doesn't really matter, as long as it's, 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 you're, you're human. And this is something that Islam promotes. Mm. We see that as a beautiful practice of Islam is that when we pray, we stand next to each other, no matter if you're old, young, if you're rich or poor, whatever background you come from, you all stand together in unity. Mm. In front of your Lord, because that's exactly what we are. We are the yeah. same in front of our Lord. It doesn't mm. matter. So that's exactly what Islam promotes, and it's about equality. And this is maybe mm. some. These are the things that I found really amazing. And this is, mm. this is what a sign of a true leader. Okay, good. I mean, just just going back to Mr. Wilder's um, 
this uh, wo- there was a statement by Mr. Wilders that if the Holy Prophet was present in Holland today, mm. uh, then he would have expelled him. This is what he had said, and His Holiness responded. He said, "God willing, you will witness a time when you will find a majority of those uh, who who follow Muhammad, the Messenger of uh, Allah, everywhere." From the time of the Holy Prophet's claim until now, his opponents have made relentless efforts, but have they been successful? Today, uh, across the world, in all places, in all countries, whether Muslims are in small or large numbers, five times a day, with a resounding voice, if any uh, across the world, in all places, in all countries, whether Muslims are in small or large numbers, five times a day, with a resounding voice, if any uh, Prophet's name is invoked, then it is the name of this mercy for all mankind, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And on 14th October 2011, his owner said that no worldly power, no matter how powerful, and this is a quote that you were also mentioning, mm-hmm. and no matter how much hatred they bear towards Islam, uh, will ever su- succeed in erasing our religion. Always remember that we can achieve nothing without prayer. We have no worldly power, nor will we ever use any worldly force, but the prayers of people whose hearts have been grieved are enough to shake the heavens. Um, and uh, I do remember that uh, when this these kind of statements were being made by His Holiness, Gert Wilders actually referred uh, him to the justice system mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, this was uh, incitement uh, and uh, the uh, the uh, adjudicators actually rejected uh, this uh, this this claim and said that he wasn't threatening uh, with uh, with any violence, but uh, just through prayer. So there is no uh, threat there that is worthy of consideration. Um, we did uh, uh, actually uh, discuss this uh, matter of the Dutch elections with Dr. Rita Stevens earlier. Uh, and uh, she's actually heralds, she originates from Holland, mm. but uh, currently living in Cornwall, uh, Quaker representative in the uh, Cornwall Faith of, uh, Forum. So let's uh, listen to what uh, this conversation holds for us. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station, Dr. Rita Stephan. And uh, Rita is originally from Holland. Uh, she is now living in Cornwall. Uh, she is a member of the Cornwall Faith Group. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. How you no doing? problem. I'm really well, and it's nice to be with you. Thank you. So can you please tell us about your knowledge and understanding of Islam and when you were a youngster in Holland, how was the house that like for you? Um, I had no understanding of Islam as a youngster. I've learned everything about Islam since I've moved to Britain. And um, we didn't, we weren't taught about Islam at school and there were no people of this, any other faiths in my school. So that's right. So. Thank you. And uh, how tolerant about, would you say, the Dutch people are towards people of different faiths and nationalities, what's your opinion on that? It's a very good question, and I think there's, there's two answers to this. The one thing that's really important for your listeners to understand is the secularity of Holland. Um, 
in, in Holland, state and religion are completely separate, and society and religion are completely separate. This is very different in the UK. Of course, in the UK, the king is the head of the Church of England, and the values and morals of the church are completely intertwined with all the institutions in Britain. And in Holland, that's very, very different. So Holland is a completely secular country, and therefore people assume and think that faith is a, and religion is a completely private affair. And I think therefore it can be difficult for those people to understand that faith is central to the lives of people, um, and that religion is central to, the, to our lives. It means that their, their understanding for faith as a central entity is, is not very large sometimes. Um, and so the secularity is one thing, and then there is the tolerance. I think people all over the world always think that Dutch people are very tolerant. And I don't think I would call it tolerance, I think it's much more pragmatism. And, and the reason for that is that, that um, one of the um, examples of that is the way our system, our, our electoral system is organized. We have coalitions and we have pure pro proportional representation, which means that coalition, people always work in a coalition, they're used to working together, and that's partly based on the fact that we are a delta and threatened by the sea and the big rivers coming from the rest of Europe. So Dutch people have always had to work together. Um, that means that they are much more pragmatic and that you can see that, for example, in things like drug policy and policies on euthanasia, which in Holland are very different from the UK. And this is not necessarily tolerance, it's more pragmatism. And so that, that does mean that, that people who voters know there will be a coalition, so they don't take the extremity of parties completely seriously because they know that the, that the, that the, that the party will be put farmer in the middle because of a coalition, which is actually therefore quite dangerous. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Rita. And I wanted to speak to you about what recently has been going on as well. Um, so Gil, uh, Gert Wilders uh, seems to have gained a lot of popularity recently. Why do you think that uh, sometimes extremist views have also gained popularity of Gert Wilders and why do you think he is currently very popular in Holland? Um, I have to say, I think there is, there is it's a, it was a, a protest vote and a vote of fear. And I think it's important to note, to note that the majority of, of all the people that voted for Geert Wilders don't consider themselves as racist at all. Uh, although his, Geert Wilders' views have always been really extreme. And, um, and I think the reason why it's a protest vote is there have been a normal, the same things as in Britain, the cost of living crisis, the energy cost crisis. There's an enormous lack of housing in Holland, even worse than in, than in the UK. And I think also the, with young people particularly, the fear of all the changes that will happen in the world because of climate change. Therefore, um, they have been much more willing to listen to a populist um, who um, is laying all the fears that people have and the worries that people have by blaming others. And so that's the first thing. It's like a perfect storm, I think, in this case, where the Conservative Party in Holland normally has lots of votes. And quite a lot of these votes have gone to Geert Wilders because people have been so disappointed with the Conservatives who have been in government for a long time. And 
because of the coalition government, the last one failed after six months. The people are all really fed up with the way politics were going. So it's, it's a protest vote. vote. Um, the other thing is because people know there's going to be a coalition, they're less likely to look at the extreme views of somebody. And I have to say that Geert Wilders' media team have made absolutely sure in the last five months to make sure that he comes across much milder than he actually is, which I think has been really dangerous. But it has convinced young voters that he is far milder than he actually is. Thank you for that. And just a follow-on question really from that. Was his recent electoral success a surprise to you and those you know in Holland? Yes, it was a complete shock. I mean, I have to say I felt really shocked. My family did. My friends did. Um, If I'm honest, I felt actually completely the same as the day after the 2016 Brexit vote in Britain. Um, And I think there had been a bit of complacency. I think nobody thought the vote would be that high. And so we were all in a shock. And I have to say, my friends and family are still in a shock. And we're still trying to make sense of what's happened. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Rita. And just one last question before we do let you go is that how do you think more tolerant and less inflammatory uh, attitudes can be encouraged? Well, that's a very good question. It's a very important question. And I think the first answer to that is if you look at the uh, votes all across um, Holland, then the the, the majority of the votes for Geert Wilders came from the countryside. So that is the east side of Holland, where... In some places, the votes are over 30% for kids and others, while the, the normal amount is about 23%, which is already very high. And this is very interesting because these are from areas where there aren't many other people of different faiths. And so people don't actually know Muslims or Jewish people or Buddhist people or people of other faiths. And that's really always interesting. So the fear is highest in areas where there aren't as many migrants or immigrants. So... Um, so that's the first thing, and I think the way to deal with it, people need to get to know each other, people need to talk together, people need to um, you know, understand that, that we have a shared humanity. And, um, and that's only possible in schools, it's possible through education. And I think what makes me feel very sad is that the, um, the integration in Holland, in terms of integrating people from different places and different faiths, hasn't obviously not really worked. And I also think there has been a complacency of people who, who feel that it was better than it is. And we need to work far harder to get people to listen to each other and care for each other. And um, this has been a wake-up call, but I think the main way of doing this is by letting people eat together and be together and share every, their lives together. Great. Uh, Dr. Rita Stefan, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, sharing your knowledge on this particular subject. Thank you so much. Right. So that was uh, Dr. Rita Stevens, as mentioned, uh, in conversation with uh, one of our representatives, uh, Imam Toki Tanvir Khan, and uh, uh, what uh, her thoughts were regarding this uh, particular topic about Dutch elections, a leader for all we also uh, have uh, Mr. Abdul Haq Kompier with us, I understand. Uh, he is um, uh, 
uh, a Dutch psychiatrist, graphic designer and author. Thank you very much for coming on to uh, the show to speak to us, uh, uh, Dr. Compier. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure. Uh, welcome, Islam. As as a youngster in Holland, uh, what knowledge or experience do you have of Islam, or did you have of Islam, should I say? Yeah, so uh, my experience was exactly the same as uh, as Dr. Rita just uh, mentioned, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that uh, not in primary school or in high school I did have any education about Islam or any other faiths, in fact. Right. Are you still with us? I think we may have lost you. Yes. Oh, yes, right. Yes, I'm here. Okay, so, so nothing <coughs> so, nothing in school. Yeah. Yes, all right. No, so, so when I first... Uh, I uh, came in contact with, uh, in fact, an Ahmadi family. I, it was the first time that I heard anything about what Islam actually was teaching. And uh, I was really surprised and mm-hmm. uh, amazed at that. Right. In the years that you have been a Muslim, what changes have you felt or experienced in the attitudes to Muslims in Holland? Yeah, so that's been an interesting history um, because I converted to Ahmadiyyat in uh, February of 2001 uh-huh. and I had been studying Islam for about three years uh, in, uh, before that and uh, at that time, so <clears throat> that was the 90s in which uh, Holland was going so well but I did feel in Holland that there was a need for spirituality and for um, for uh, uh, some view that could uh, integrate more the different cultures that uh, Holland was uh, uh, was having at the time. Uh, and so I thought Islam would be such a great contribution to our country, you know, with uh, the great spiritual tradition and uh, the poetry and the history of multicultural society, which has been successful in Islam. And so I was so hoping and um, and looking forward to um, bringing this all these beautiful things of Islam to the country um, but unfortunately then in September the attacks of uh, 9-11 happened mm-hmm. so this was only a few months after I uh, converted to Ahmadiyyat and then unfortunately it became defending Islam against all these allegations that were just pouring into the media uh, which was really a horrible thing, and uh, I think that uh, the government and the media really didn't take any responsibility to um, to counter this, so to counter all the hatred that was pouring in, and this hasn't uh, really stopped at all. So it's been 20 years now of uh, just prejudiced media and uh, politicians who become more and more. Uh, who become more and more uh, using uh, polarization towards uh, foreigners uh, and to Islam as well. Mm. So, so this uh, this change uh, in both the what the politicians are saying and uh, what's uh, taking place in the media, have you found that that has ref- certainly reflected public opinion? Yeah, so, you know, if you think about a society that's becoming divided, then uh, there is really this um, this this sense that the uh, head of the family 
as it is sometimes also mentioned in in our literature um you know if you look at the country as a as a family then the head of the family should have a binding role and should be uh, connecting people and not dividing people and um so definitely the people have uh, who, if you see that the, the politicians are um are are negative against uh, islam and against foreigners then of course what can the people do hmm What connections did Europe and Holland in particular have with Islam historically that might have influenced people's attitudes? Yeah. So this is an extremely important question and uh <clears throat> uh so uh, after I became uh, an Ahmadi Muslim I uh, also uh, took the the teaching of loving your country seriously or this just happened by itself by becoming Muslim and um I started researching in the history of my country to connection with Islam. And um what I found was that actually the independence of Holland from the Spanish Empire which happened in the 16th century uh we uh we uh, struggled to become independent from the Spanish Empire because the Catholic Empire would persecute the Protestants. Mm-hmm. and uh, what i discovered was that the ottoman empire actually had a quite an important role in supporting this independence um there was a frequent contact between the founder of the dutch uh, republic william of orange and the ottoman sultans mm-hmm. in the course of a few decades and uh, the ottomans promised their support for the struggle of the dutch and they also made a plan to uh fight on different fronts against the Spanish empire so the ottomans would fight in the mediterranean and the dutch would fight in holland so that the spanish would be have to fight on uh, two fronts mm. so this was definitely coordinated uh, uh operation which uh, was successful because holland did become independent and the great uh, the gr- greatest thing is even that uh, william of orange the founder of Holland was influenced by uh the islamic example of uh, tolerance of different religions right so so they had they even had a slogan uh which says that they would rather be turk than pope <laughs> rather be turk yes. than papist mm-hmm. which actually means that they would rather be a subject to the sultan of the ottoman empire than be subject to the pope because they also explained that the pope would uh, persecute the protestants and the turk the sultan would uh, tolerate all the different religious groups mm, mm. that's very interesting yeah uh, it's really interesting mm, but unfortunately mm. it is not uh, taught in our school books uh, it is in the history books it's not uh, that, that that there are no official sources for this but mm. uh, uh, but in in our school books this is not mentioned at all unfortunately and uh, it could be such a connecting uh story for the dutch people to to integrate islam with their own history mm. but so this is one of the examples that i think one of the chances that the dutch government missed uh, mm. because even the queen has talked about it uh, mm. but mm. they didn't they didn't make this into a narrative that could find the people of Holland unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh Dr. Kompia there's two of us here. Uh, my colleague uh Imam Jalis also has some questions. We don't mind answering them as well please. Uh 
Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, um, respected Abdul Haq. Um, how are you doing this morning? Yes, Alhamdulillah. Thank you very much. Wa salam wa rahmatullah. Yes. Um, my question uh, is: If Islam was seen such a as, as such a just as such a just and tolerant religion in the past, uh, why do you think this perception has changed? Yeah. So um, this is a great question, and uh, it even in the end it connects to the whole phenomenon phenomenon of the Dajjal of the what we um, perceive as the Antichrist in mm-hmm. the teachings of Ahmadiyyat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I will try to explain this, that what happens is that many influences from the Muslim world came to Europe, but uh, the fact that they came from Muslims or from the Muslim world uh, was always uh, quite quickly covered up. And so also, even though this whole slogan uh, to be rather Turk than Papist, uh, mm-hmm. although this slogan is quite well known. Yep. What happened was that in in the uh, main narrative, it became to be understood that the Dutch would rather be uh, following the devil than the Pope, mm. which okay. was just so awkward uh, to interpret it that way, which was also uh. not true in that time. But after the uh, Dutch got what they needed from mm. the Ottomans, then the story kind of changed. And uh, this happened with so many influences from the Muslim world, uh, which um, are covered up in the story. So the European story always makes of it that uh, it all came from the Romans and the Greeks. Mm. Okay. Whereas this is uh, well, often not true. First, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for that. Um, uh, what should or can Muslims do to change this perception of those who see Islam as a danger? Yeah, so um, I think the Ahmadiyya Jamaat is working so hard for this, and uh, we are always spending so much uh, effort and, and resources to educate people. I think we should just uh, continue with this uh, mm. educational effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, what is extremely important is to really practice the example of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because in his example and in his Sunnah and in his personality, there is such a great power and influence uh, that eventually will uh, conquer the world, and especially in times of uh, adversity like uh, what we're probably going to have more in Holland now after the um, the, the election results. Mm-hmm. Um, we should uh, stick to this example and st- uh, stay, especially stay righteous in our sphere of influence. And this also means our family. This also means our within our Jamaat, towards our Jamaat members, mm-hmm. and uh, also towards other people who are uh, you know, in our sphere of influence, mm-hmm. so that we really uh, fulfill the uh, prophecy about the Mahdi that uh, the Mahdi will fill the uh, world with justice, and justice will always attract the people. It has been in times that the governments of the Christian nations failed them uh, that the Christians would turn towards uh, Islam mm-hmm. and 
uh, would say that, like this slogan, that they would rather be subject to Muslims than to subject to their own uh, people. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. That's, that's again, they're very fascinating. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think briefly, if you can just, I think for the benefit of the listeners and for us as well in the in the studio, um, as a as as a, a as, as a convert to the new uh, uh, convert to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, if you can briefly um, just mention, you mentioned that you converted in uh, February 2001, you can accepted uh, Islam Ahmadiyya in February 2001. If you can just briefly um, explain um, uh, just how you took, a, t- took an interest to Islam and how you kind of started researching Islam. Yeah, so um, I was searching for uh, more meaning in my life and uh, I had been uh, raised without religion uh, and so by reading some other books uh, I became to uh, believe in God and uh, as I was having questions in my mind about who God would be exactly I met with uh, Ahmadi Muslims (coughs) uh, who impressed me a lot so that also illustrates my uh, earlier point about uh, you know, uh, practicing the the example of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because their their kindness and their uh, their warmth and their spirituality really impressed me a lot, which uh, made me want to know more about Islam. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time, um, respected um, Abdul Haq Kompiersa. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I think uh, I, th- I think that's enough from my yes, side. Yes, no, thank you very much. Thank you. Assalamu uh, alaikum. Thank you. Wa alaikum salam and thank you for having me. No, no. A pleasure. Thank pleasure, you. Yeah. Right, um, I think uh, we can move on now and uh, uh, consider the uh, final of our uh, three topics that we were going to be reviewing today. Uh, the third topic uh, is regarding people of faith are satisfied with their jobs. That's the title of it. Uh, something, again, we picked up from uh, one of the website, uh, websites. is Re- uh, Religion uh, Media Center uh, in the morning news. The, the new, it says, the new Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life was launched at reception in London uh, last night. So this is probably, uh, I think, a week old. Uh, unveiling research suggesting that people with faith are more satisfied with their jobs than those without faith, and they are more likely to say they carry out their duties in a thorough manner. The Institute has uh, three staff, including uh, Dr. Rakib Ehsan, Rakib Ehsan, a senior research associate who wrote the report. He told the reception that the uh, Institute um, would research the positive impact of faith on British life. He said this report indicated religious affiliation, brought trust, a sense of belonging and purpose in the workplace and was a vital source of social capital. The Institute's secretary, Dr. Jake Scott, explained that um, the uh, uh, organization is not politically motivated. It declined to give uh, details of its uh, anonymous backers. The launch uh, comes months after a meeting at number 10 where business leaders discussed the importance of faith in the workplace and days after the uh, APPG for International Freedom of Religion or Belief discussed a report proposing that businesses adopt a set of actions to accommodate religion and belief. Now, I'm pleased to note that uh, 
Dr. Jake uh, Scott is uh, with us. Uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on to uh, The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Um, is there any um, um, credence in this assertion that uh, uh, those people of faith uh, are better, uh, are more, uh, how can I say, comfortable in their jobs? Absolutely. So um, we began with the hypothesis, as as usually you would with the research, that there is a correlation between job satisfaction uh, and religious faith. And the evidence from our polling would suggest that this is definitely the case. Uh, so, for example, if you look at key indicators of job satisfaction and uh, happiness at work, people who uh, consider religion to be an important part of their identity rate uh, respond much higher than atheists. So, for example, on uh, higher job satisfaction as a, as a single indicator. 77% of people who believe religion is important to their identity say that they have job satisfaction compared to 52% of atheists. Uh, and, and likewise, when it comes to trusting their colleagues and um, work work contacts, 77% uh, are trusting compared to just half of atheists. Uh, and then one of the most interesting ones is optimism over the future of the UK economy. So we asked the question, do you believe the UK economy's best days lie ahead? And 35% of people who consider religion to be important to their identity said yes, compared to just 16% of atheists. Now, while those figures are both low, the fact that religious people are twice as optimistic over the future of the UK economy as atheists is really interesting. Mm. Are they, would you say that people of faith are better in their jobs because of their faith? Or is that is is that a conclusion too far, too far to make? I think job performance is something that we hadn't necessarily inquired into, largely because it varies so much from industry to industry and from individual to individual. Uh, overall, though, you can see a very clear correlation between satisfaction uh, and enjoyment at work compared to uh, atheists. Mm. If religion is so um, so positive. A factor. Uh, what do you think could be done to improve the inclusivity of religion in the workplace? One of the most interesting and encouraging findings from the report was that as much as three quarters of religious people believe that their employers respect and accommodate for their religious beliefs and practices, which is a real success story in terms of British integration. But there definitely is more to be done. Uh, so, for example, provision of prayer spaces. It's very easy to set up prayer spaces in a workplace. You, know, you just use a, uh, an unused room or you provide space elsewhere. Uh, allowing for religious holidays and time off. Obviously, the, the British economy tends to be structured around the Christian calendar. Obviously, we're coming up to the Christmas break. Hmm. Uh, but allowing, for example, people to take Ramadan as uh, a time off or taking Diwali as a holiday, these sorts of things. And I think, as well, shared recognition, if not necessarily celebration of significant dates. So shared celebration is enjoyable and nice, but it can feel a little bit tokenistic. But if workplaces are recognizing significant dates, then people who are religious feel welcome at work uh, and, and probably feel a little bit more appreciated as well. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, I've got my colleague with me. He's got a few questions as well, if you don't mind uh, responding to them as well. Thank you. Course, yeah. Yeah. Um, good morning, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, uh, Dr. Jake. I hope you're doing well this uh, this morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Very good. Thank you for asking. Um, so 
my, my question is that do you believe that employers being more welcoming to people of faith would further increase their work ethic? This is a really interesting question and this is something that we explored at our launch event on the 28th of November. Uh, so we had a fantastic panel. We had representatives from the three major monotheistic faiths, a man called Angus Taylor, who's a modern Orthodox Jew, uh, a man called Kuzuma Kambai, who is a Shia Muslim from the Dawidi Bora community, mm. yeah. and Dr. Solomon Asagi from the Elam Pentecostal Church Christianity. And mm. uh, what was interesting across all their experiences was that the increasing welcoming uh, attitude of employers to people of faith does make them uh, more productive uh, and increase their work ethic. Uh, so respect for practices generally make religious employees more productive was, was something that we talked about. Uh, but also it was interesting to hear from Kuzuma because he was a business owner himself. And he said that when we celebrate and recognize uh, religious dates and religious events at work, people feel more included, people feel more satisfied, mm-hmm. uh, and they do generally see an increase in their productivity. So I, I think we can draw a reasonable conclusion between uh, welcoming um, faith and religious practices and increased work ethic. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, I think you touched upon this before. Maybe you can elaborate. So this, uh, this, the next question actually fits in with what you said, or what mm. you touched upon is that being satisfied in your job may cause you not to seek promotions. Uh, do you believe this is the case for people of faith? I think it's a really, really interesting question. So one thing that we discussed at the launch event panel was this idea that satisfaction in life for people of faith tends to come from more diverse places than just work. Hmm. So people who are atheists, for instance, might seek life satisfaction from work, but because people of faith tend to find satisfaction from pre-existing sources of support, such as their church or their masjid or their synagogue Hmm. and so on, and their faith communities, Mm -hmm. then they tend not to be too obsessed with finding satisfaction from work. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting is, of course, that many faiths see work and duty as a path to honoring God. Yeah. Uh, so it's. I think it's definitely the case that you feel more satisfied at work because it's not necessarily a source of satisfaction. Uh, but there's nothing to suggest that people of faith don't seek promotions mm-hmm. because they're so satisfied already. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'd like to just, just ask you maybe briefly if you can tell us um, of the study that you and your team have done on making, uh, making faith work job satisfaction in the UK. Absolutely. So this was based on a poll conducted by Techno UK, a British polling council member of 2004 adults in the UK. Uh, It was conducted at the beginning of October, in the first week of October, and we found significant correlation between faith and job satisfaction. Uh, As I said before, one of the most encouraging results was to see three quarters of religious employees feel uh, that their employer accommodates for their religious beliefs and practices. Um, But likewise, you do see the significant correlation between faith and job satisfaction, optimism over the economy, and trust of work colleagues and professional contacts. Uh, What's also interesting and something that we're working on at the moment is a qualitative supplementary paper to this study. Mm -hmm. So this study is currently completely uh, quantitative. It's based purely on survey data. Mm -hmm. But we are currently interviewing people uh, to supplement and flesh out the relationship between faith and work. Uh, so if any of your listeners would like to get involved, they're more than welcome to do oh, so great. by going onto our website. Yeah, definitely. If you can just repeat the website again, please. Absolutely. So it's just iifl.org.uk. Well, that's great. Thank, th- thank you so much for joining us this morning, uh, Dr. Jake. I really enjoyed you having, uh, having you, you here. So uh, thank you so much for your time.
Thank you. Have a good day and God bless. You too. You too. Thank you. Right, uh, right. That was uh, Dr. Jake Scott, Secretary for the Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life. Uh, staying with you, Imam Jalis. Um, is there any relevant uh, material that you can share with us uh, which Islam offers uh, concerning this particular topic? Yes, of course, of course. Before I uh, I, I delve into the uh, Islamic point of view, uh, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I stumbled upon the fact that. Um, a few years ago, I believe five, six years ago, um, the European Court of Justice uh, stated that employers are now entitled or were entitled to ban a staff from wearing visible religious symbols at work. Mm-hmm. And the uh, judges argued that if a firm has an internal rule banning the, fir- uh, the wearing of any political, philosophical or religious sign, it does not constitute direct discrimination since no single religion is targeted. So I find it very uh, interesting that we're kind of full circle now after six years and mm-hmm. we've actually seen that um, being religious and being faithful and coming from a faith um, is, is, is actually seen as something really positive and it's actually really good for yeah. uh, for further workplace mm-hmm. and work ethic. So this is this is remarkable, yeah, actually. That's interesting, yeah. um, uh, on to the... Um, Islamic point of yeah. view. Um, I believe Abdul Haq Saab mentioned it. Uh, mentioned it, our, our guest from Holland. He, he he mentioned something really interesting, and I really liked it. And it kind of just correlates with this as well, which is about purpose. He said that he didn't have purpose in his life. He was trying to find purpose in his life, and that's exactly what um, those people who come from places of faith, as in they 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 they, they found purpose, and their purpose. For example, us as Muslims is to seek pleasure in um, in, in God. That, that 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 that's our purpose in mm. life, and I believe this 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 also applies to other people who come from um, uh, different faiths and different religions and different creeds. Um, in the Holy Quran, it states, "It is only in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort." Very beautiful looking, okay, very profound. That it is only with the remembrance of Allah Almighty that we truly have comfort and satisfaction in our heart. So we do not need to uh, chase these kind of worldly things. We 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 are we are there. We are here um, only to seek God's pleasure. And this is something that um, this is something again. This is this is very beautiful that we can this the this uh, the study that, that has been done. It, it, it perfectly coincides it coincides with this with the, with, with this kind of uh, type of thought. Um, the promised Messiah, um, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has stated that you still do not know the extent of God's powers. Had you known, not a single day would you have grieved over the world. Does he, does he who owns a treasure weep, cry and become sorrowful until unto death over the loss of a single coin? Had you been aware of this treasure and knew that at a very, at every single time of need, God is able to fulfill your requirements, why would you look to the world so restlessly? God is a precious treasure. Appreciate him accordingly, for he is your helper at every step. So this, this again, this, this beautiful uh, statement and this beautiful quote of the promised Messiah um, um, has uh, just, just kind of also like just emphasizes the fact that um, us as Muslims, we we try to seek pleasure in God Almighty. God is my God Almighty is our target, is our purpose. We don't need to we need to, need to go to the left or right or chase um, these kind of worldly um, treasures or like uh, promotions or whatnot. Um, and if you, and if you do go after these promotions, it will be for the sake of God and seeking God's pleasure. Um, it's a very profound um, statement that I actually uh, stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was um, uh, chasing the world is like chasing your shadow. You'll never be able to catch your shadow. You'll never be able to get in front of it. Never be able to reach it. Mm. But as soon as you turn around and you face God Almighty, the symbolic, the symbolism of the shadow is the world. You're chasing the world. As soon as you turn around and you start chasing God Almighty and start seeking the pleasure of God Almighty, all the treasures start following you. They start running after you. Mm. I found it very beautiful, and this is exactly what we. Uh, what we see here um, just touching back upon the point I'd be, uh, um, of, 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 of the workplace I, I, I believe this is this, this is exactly what it is is that, is, is that those people who come from uh, those backgrounds of, of faith of religion of some sort of belief they are content with the belief in God and the, the seeking pleasure in God Almighty and they do not need to um, and, 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 and this kind of work ethic is just provided and is, 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 is if anything amplified in, in, in the workforce and this kind of um, positive you know really good you know like a good feel atmosphere is is, is, is projected throughout the, the workplace as well so I think mm. I think this is very beautiful mm. okay uh, anything further that you want to add before we uh, close off? Um, no, I think I'll, I think I'll okay. pass it to you now. Thank you very much. Okay, so that means that we're coming near to the uh, close of this particular broadcast, and that also means that we need to thank those people who have been involved. Uh, our producer, uh, Malia Abdullah, lead producer, uh, Nergis uh, Nasser, are worthy of her thanks, as are her uh, researchers, uh, Kutsi Award, Hala, and Pfizer. And uh, let's not forget the contributors who helped us understand uh, some of the st- uh, topics that we were discussing. Uh, they came onto the show. Uh, in particular, let's uh, also uh, thank Dr. Rita Stevens, who spoke to us earlier. Uh, this is concerning the uh, Dutch elections. And uh, we also spoke uh, on the program during the broadcast with the uh, uh, Dr. Abdul Haq uh, 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 sorry, um, um, who spoke on that particular subject about uh, the Dutch elections. And then uh, we and we were discussing the uh, uh, third of our main uh, topics, the people of faith more satisfied with their jobs. Uh, we spoke to Dr. Jake Scott, uh, who is the secretary for the Institute for the Impact of Faith in Life, um, and is an Anglican. So uh, thank you to all these uh, contributors who um, furthered our understanding of the subjects that we're discussing. Um, gratitude also to our uh, engineers, uh, making sure that everything ran smoothly. Muhammad Shafiq and Arbagan, uh, thank you to them. And uh, thank you to our listeners for staying the course and keeping us company and listening to the show. We will be back uh, next Friday from 7 to 9. But before that, uh, we will be running the breakfast show every single uh, weekday, Monday to Friday. So do join us uh, then. There will be a short break uh, now, a short interlude. After that, you'll be hearing the uh, 9 o'clock news. So until next time, it is Salaam Alaikum from myself and from Jalees Khan. Here's uh, an interlude followed by the news.